Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source of news, interviews and comments on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence, brought to you by TCT Magazine. I'm your host, Sam Davis, and on today's episode, we're joined by Doug Kennick, the Director of Software Product Management at Mark Forged, and Paul Hyden, the Chief Product Officer at Binder, for the latest instalment of our Innovators on Innovators series. The pair have previously worked together when Kennick was heading up Teton Simulation, and Hyden was among the leadership at Ultimaker. Prior to Teton's acquisition by Mark Forge, Ultimaker was among the first to partner with the software company, incorporating a Smart Slice plugin into the Cura platform. With both now in new roles, they reconvened to discuss software and data and their emerging roles in additive manufacturing. During this conversation, Kennick and Hyden share their thoughts on the thinking behind open and closed software platforms, the ability of software to reduce product iterations, and how when it comes to applications, 3D printing will still surprise us. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more additive insight, head on over to tctmagazine.com where you can subscribe to the print edition of TCT Magazine and our weekly additive insight newsletter for free. Paul, I played golf the other weekend with a, one of your sales guys from Binder, or previous sales guys from Binder. Oh, you did? Yeah, I was just like randomly paired with him. I was like, where do you work? He's like, Binder. And I was like, oh, I know people from Binder. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That was in Boston? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some random, some random golf club. I was just like, oh, interesting. So, what a coincidence! Just, just incredible. Who was he? Oh, I don't remember his name. It was a like a very short intro and a long day. I'll say that. So it was. Uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun though. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I have like a whole bunch of topics I want to talk to you about, and like obviously, like there's some confidentiality that I have to keep. I'm sure yourself as well, still. Um, but I think you have a really good insight into the, this industry after being a CPO of one of the largest FFF printer companies, OEMs in the world. Um, I'm super interested in diving into software and data with you, and it's like emerging role into additive manufacturing. Uh, I, I, I'm interested to hear the topics you want to talk about as well, though. <laughs> Maybe we can steer it that uh, way. Um, the, the funny thing is, I, I spent this weekend uh, reading through a set of notes. I don't know what it was. It was for the uh, ISA or something, a, a university in Spain. And I gave a lecture there. And okay. uh, I, I went through uh, my notes. It's actually way more extensive than I expected. And um, it, what I find probably the most uh, interesting thing now reading through the notes that um, this wish to democratize uh, 3D printing, which was really a, a locked up world without any potential that, that, that could really be released uh, in the market, that we actually did that and, and that it did happen and that we did uh, break uh, that we opened up a market that that was entirely closed by by closed systems, closed materials, and predominantly closed uh, software. And I'm, <laughs> at the time, I wasn't impressed, but now I am. 
it's um, I left Ulsteker about uh, I don't know now three years ago. Um, I'm now working indeed at uh, Binder, a marketing technology uh, company, as a chief product officer. So I'm still always working in software, but uh, and in the end, of course, also in 3D printing, software will push out most of the hardware. Um, uh, but the, the fact that, that we opened up that market is, is, is pretty impressive. It's yeah, amazing. It's like, it's a, we're, we're kind of on opposite ends of that, right? Where like Mark Forge is a very closed kind of ecosystem for, for very good reasons now, now that I'm here. Like back, back when I was at Teton, right? Like working with you at Ultimaker, yeah. the open system was a huge advantage for us um, just to get into the market. And I think for yourselves as well. So like there's still there's still like you know very different schools of thought there. You see different companies opening up like various aspects of the platform at certain times. Like, do you think that gave Ultimaker a strategic advantage? Um, specifically, like like let's just like there's obviously the hardware perspective, but also like the software perspective too, right? And, and materials, of course. Oh yeah. It's um, yeah. It it all sort of came together when I was at this huge uh, venue in, uh, in in Germany where, where all machine uh, vendors would have their uh, their stands and um, all day I was talking to to German uh, R&D officers and, and, and directors and um, they hardly were interested in, in what the machine was doing they were constantly telling me ah, that'll work I believe that machine will will actually work. So th this is about 2018. The, we we got through the amateurish machine towards something that would actually uh, have some purpose in even in the professional world. But they were constantly asking me, how do I quickly get people productive? And one other thing that I always used after that, one one guy said to me. I want to get to a situation, he was already uh, working for a long time in 3D printing. I want to get to a situation where I print as few times as possible. And that of oh. course would anger all the uh, the mechanical engineers. What is this? What are you telling me? We're, we're not working here uh, to have a machine that's not used. Uh, but what he was meaning, of course, is how with with software, with uh, with, with everything that we could possibly do to faster go to a purpose fit um, uh, part that that could be three printing that that was for me the, the big search the the big challenge and uh, it was then when i met you that it that it became very obvious to me that um, titan was completely um, almost closing that uh, that challenge for me because uh, you were able to predict um, how how a part would behave. You were able to predict on well, not not all uh, materials, but many materials what it actually would do, and and th that opened up for me really. I feel uh, 3D printing, and well, you know that as a result, I got very enthusiastic, and I was also a happy member of your board. <laughs> yeah, so like, and and now that like I'm. You know, in a in a different role, I'm looking at the market a little bit differently right now. Um, I totally agree with you. This, you know, I, I might take a step back too. I'd, I'd like to get your opinion on this. So, like the barrier to entry into FFF is actually pretty low right now. Um, yeah. Like 
from a hardware standpoint, even even kind of a software standpoint. I mean, you've obviously open source Cura, so you can kind of tailor it to your needs. But you see competitors coming in or people entering the market selling two thousand dollar FFF printers that are just like they actually work. <laughs> they, like people are <laughs> people are adopting them. Uh, but I think that we're still in this situation where I think you and I talked about this a lot. It takes anywhere from five to twenty-five iterations to get a good part. And I there's some of that that's hardware and there's some of that that's materials. And like you can go back into the open or closed ecosystem to make that happen. But in my mind, like the way to get that from five to twenty-five down to one or two is through software. I, I can't really see the jump unless it is software. So I'd like to get your your thoughts on that. Yeah, and that's also probably why eventually uh, people will pay uh, for software, uh, whereas in many, with, particularly with Triple uh, F, uh, the, the, uh, in 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 terms of bringing value to to customers, uh, software probably has much more to bring than the printer itself, and and an ability to 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 design and and quickly without iterations i mean it takes endlessly long to print right it could easily take eight hours or 20 hours and 25 Absolutely. iterations means that that you're four or five weeks uh, further down the road and and that's just for one part whereas most of the professional use cases typically sit in in spare parts in 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 things that need to be tested so you're you're also slowing down the whole uh test of a product and you're, you're slowing time to value for your new product introductions and everything else. It's just not smart. Um, and I always felt that um, in, in 3D printing, the, the biggest challenge will probably be in, in minimizing the number of, of course, iterations and, and, and getting to a fit for purpose uh, product as much as, as soon as you possibly can. Um, I also felt at the time that um, you had to do this with any material you could possibly think of. And I know that that's still, there, there are still different schools. And, uh, but I always felt if you have 150 different uh, plastic, there must be a good reason for that because the, the, the factories that need to be built are so huge and, and the requirements are so huge to make it profitable that uh, there must be a very good reason. So I always felt that um, uh, the system must not only be able to, to minimize the number of iterations in terms of strengths and, and this fit for purposes, but must also be able to, to support any material. And um, I do think that, um, well, that, that for instance, Mark Force is, is less inclined to do that. So, um, yeah, I think in certain aspects, right? I think it's very like we're very targeted on the materials that we want, and it's really from customer demand. Whereas I think Ultimaker, you've definitely taken an approach of just like let anyone do what they want to do, right? I, I thought, and honestly, I really thought the way that you approached it with let the material suppliers qualify their own materials and set the print profile for their own materials on your specific machines, and like you gave them tools to do that. It, it, it was a it was a smart decision, right? Because it's not in Ultimaker's hands at that point. It's in uh, it's in the material supplier's hands. And like, I'd, I'd be interested to to hear your thoughts though on like if there were print problems with those customers that were doing with printing with open source materials, 
were they coming to Ultimaker for support or were they going to the supplier for support? Uh, no, they, they would, yeah, that, that, that was at the time, people would always go to, um, well, the guy that would sell it. Um, so not necessarily uh, BASF or, or um, whatever, but that they would go to, to the outlet and uh, Ultimaker was very strict. And it's definitely a big part of its success uh, was very strict on, on using a channel. And uh, so they would end up with the channel again. Yeah. So Ultimaker didn't really feel <laughs> <laughs> the issue of having troubles with uh, the materials. On the other hand, I think our R&D department, uh, there were several great people there. Um, their ability to uh, build profiles that would support uh, any plastic, what was of course all plastic, and, and then allow these large companies to, to optimize profiles for their materials was a very good way uh, to go at the time. And uh, of course, it, apart from the software, also this, this ability would nudge people to, uh, to the Ultimaker machine. Because I would continuously tell the world, there's no reason not to buy an Ultimaker. Uh, because any material you want to choose, you can use. And even with prepared profiles, so at least that part of the causing iterations, you, you will not have. Uh, but it was also obvious that at the time that when the, the profiles were solving, let's say, I don't know, 20, 25% of the iterations, of course, the real uh, number of the, the 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 high number of iterations was completely caused by um, uh, the, the part not being fit for purpose. Well, breaking, right? Yeah, yeah, breaking, and then like uh, defam, which we can get into later. I, I don't like that term whatsoever. I heard a new one recently, which was MFAM. Uh, What's that? Uh, modified for modified for additive manufacturing, which I think is like much more like in tune with where the industry is sitting right now. DFAM and I just like, we, I don't get along with that term whatsoever. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. It's, it should be DFM, designed for manufacturing. Like you do it everywhere. Additive is like no different, <laughs> right? <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, no, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And uh, again, I, I keep coming back to that, but you, you, uh, Teton, uh, was really the, the only company coming with uh, solutions, and I can only congratulate uh, Markforce for for having bought uh, Teton because I felt it it was so critical in reducing the amount of iteration, and as a result, because we were never good at explaining the value behind uh, 3D printing, the time to value. Um, of whatever product uh, you want to make where, where you would use in prototyping uh, 3D printing. And that, 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 would seriously, uh, that, that will seriously provide the, the savings that uh, our customers should be looking for. Absolutely. And there, there's a lot of that um, with the trust and confidence. Like those are two words that I use quite a bit in the additive manufacturing industry right now is because trust and confidence are actually pretty low. And some of that, like, is why the iterations are so high. But do you have trust and confidence that your part's going to perform as it needs to? Do you have trust and confidence that it's going to be with like, like the dimensional tolerances that it needs to be? When it, like, the answer is most of the time, no. And you just go through trial and error, or you print the thing solid. Like we've talked about that forever. Um, so it like 
you know, I think software's role right now, and like I think data's role too, which we can talk about later, is really about how do you get that trust and confidence to the end user to the same point they have right now, where they're like milling these, a lot of these parts are milled, right? Or they're uh, casted or something like that. Like, how do you people up to that level? Like, I always go to the single largest barrier for people adopting additive manufacturing in my mind right now is education. Yes. Right? I, I wasn't making myself popular at the time in Ultimaker. I, th I think it was about 2018 and I predicted that we would be in a relatively uh, slow market for at least seven, eight years before you got the first students for for whom 3D printing will be just another tool, as reliable as a hammer or uh, casting or whatever it is, and they would know how to do that, and they would require that that was also an option uh, where, wherever they would work, and um, I guess that that's now about to come. Uh, but we certainly had to go through that. Um, I don't know to, through that depression before the market will will go to another plateau. Yeah, I see that a lot. Like I, I visit a whole bunch of customers on site, and uh, you see it. There's always the champions, right, um, who just want to use new technology, bring it in house, see what problems you can solve. And additive solving a ton of problems around the industry right now. But then then you see I'm starting to see a whole bunch of like interns come in new new graduates come into these companies who their expectations like you just said like they dive into the software for these additive manufacturing platforms they know exactly what they're doing they know how to design for additive manufacturing and like they're yeah they're pushing the limits already and it like we haven't been around that long <laughs> right no exactly uh, i was looking up in preparation of this uh, call when the, uh, the 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 patents were actually expired and, and that's only well 10 years ago yeah so and and until then the, the market was completely locked up and um, only now we, we've we've been able to democratize it particularly through cura of course but now affordable machines and everything else and um, so yeah yes it, it is still early days uh, but I'm very sure that the, the people that enter the, the work floor now, um, they will consider it a standard option and a standard tool in, in their way of working and will probably see an uptake soon in, uh, in prototyping. Uh, and of course, uh, in the end, we've always been talking about uh, spare parts and, and software flying around the world and just only materializing at the place where it's needed, which is from a environmental point of view, of course, wonderful. Uh, just imagine that that ships from China to to America would wouldn't be needed because you you would only build the things that you need at the moment that you need them and they would fly around the world as as software. Um, yeah. But that's probably yes, a dream for some time. I, I think like I we're seeing it a lot. Um, you know, we we call it like a, you know production at the point of need, basically. And uh, we're seeing a lot of companies adopt it. I think you saw it as well. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, where you have digital inventories. And like, this is a whole whole thing that I'd love to dive into because, you know, you, you very well know digital inventories, but a lot of companies are adopting digital inventories and saying, okay, 
everything is stored there. Just when you're ready, you print it and you print it on demand wherever you need it. And they're, they're, a lot of them are functional components, which is, you know, Mark Forge's bread and butter. And also why Teton fits into that picture so well from like a strength and stiffness perspective. Um, but yeah, these parts have to be like validated, right? Signed, secured, and they, they just live there. And whenever you're ready, you print it from your factory floor. And I know Ultimaker had quite a few customers that, that were, were not quite a few, that you, you were seeing some adoption with some of your larger larger customers, which was super encouraging to us at the time. So, Yeah, and I, because I, I, I haven't been in, in the market, of course, for some time, um, a, a, a perceived problem was, and I don't know whether it was true, was the, the certification of functional parts. Uh, and I, I always thought, well, that will probably result in standardization on one machine, probably one type of material or two types of material, whatever they choose. I still believe that the openness there is, is of big value, uh, but it, it will converge again once you're in that functional area uh, to, to one machine being completely trustworthy materials that you know uh, will do the things that they need, uh, will offer the, the, the characteristics that you need. Um, but how, how, is, how is the market dealing with, with those certifications? So it, it depends on what you're talking about. So if we're talking about jigs, fixtures, tooling, it's a little bit different. Um, yeah. I, I think if you have a signed and validated part and you're, like, you're, like you said, your printers, you trust your printers to do what they need to do through a reliability standpoint, which is why like Mark Words has chosen the route that we have, where if you have the printer and material and software combination, we're about you know, very sure that you were going to get the same part every time unless there's something wrong with the printer which like we we would have to figure out through data um but those kind of parts you know th those can be signed and verified and say this is how you print it and like whenever you're ready go uh we're seeing a lot of that uptick as far as like end use parts that's a little bit harder um right because there's still a whole whole bunch of like trust and confidence issues around end use parts um how do you verify them right there's this whole discussion like in the aerospace industry around ncamp um how do you how do you go into that automotive is a whole different story um but if you, know, you squarely focus on the jigs fixtures tooling where you do yeah. have multiple sites everywhere that need that part and like if you can reduce downtime from a week or even a day to a few hours you've saved people millions of dollars right yeah. So, yeah, the the tools was such an obvious one. Every use case was very clear. What what it did take, um, what was well first consultants that that would see the opportunity actually, because let's say the people of my age won't, won't probably immediately see the options. Uh, whereas probably the students that now come out of um, engineering school will immediately see these options and, and will will do that. So I'm. I'm I'm pretty sure that uptake also in, in tooling will, will be there pretty soon. Jigs and fixtures oh, and everything else in the industry. Yeah, no, I, I've talked to a few of like our, our customers. I was visiting one in Canada a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And they had a backlog of two months on their printer, just of applications they've found around the factory floor. <laughs> my, really? My, oh, yeah. Two months. 
It's not just like everyone. <laughs> wants to buy a, a, some more printers. <laughs> that, that was my that was my answer. I was like, why aren't why don't you have more printers? <laughs> but <laughs> I get it. <laughs> it's a it's a real thing, right? Where um, the the companies that are adopting it and are actually taking advantage of digital inventories, um, they're, they're seeing huge benefits. And even you know, if you look at these larger companies that have different cost centers through their departments. Those cost centers are now going to the people that have 3D printers and saying, well, I could injection mold this, but what if I 3D print it? And the costs are dropping by a factor of like 10 if you just 3D print it, right? Which is, and you're getting it two times faster at least. So. Yeah, and, and if it's still, if it doesn't work, you, you can immediately um, redo it, right? Or, or make small adaptations and, and and do at least do the the as fast as you can the iterations and again there software plays a major role that that even if you build it and it just doesn't fit like the way you want to and and adapt it and check it through the type of software that Teton offers and you'll you'll win easily well perhaps four times eight hours to 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 print something oh absolutely yeah it's uh it's been an interesting journey. Uh, the past, it's only been a year and a half since Teton was was acquired by uh, Mac Forge, but uh, it's been eye-opening too on what the industry's like. The appetite of the industry is absolutely there, right? It's it's more about guidance at this point. And it's all the, the market is industry, or are there other occurring markets? I, I always had high hopes of uh, let's say military, the military world, not just because I'm a marine. I thought that must be an area where certification was less of an issue. Um, it, it could be done faster. Well, 100%, right? So you're seeing it in industry and you're also seeing it in military. Uh, DOD uh, is, a, is a large market. If you can drop a printer out the back of a plane somewhere and print print anything that you need in the field, right? Cool. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think you saw it. Uh, you were putting printers on boats at, at Old Maker. Yeah. Yeah, I think we we were first in the world uh, doing that. The the, the Netherlands Navy uh, doing that, and it, it, was, yeah. it was an old friend of mine, and he was looking at this, and he said, "Paul, whatever, it doesn't cost much. Nobody will see it. I'll just put a few of these things on a boat." And uh, when they got back from a trip to uh, to the Caribbean, back to the Netherlands, they said, "We need more of them because it, it was literally solving." Uh, even critical issues. They, they weren't using it for, for, for the, the parts weren't critical, but it was solving critical issues all the time. Yeah. Um, and the same thing. A year later, the, the whole fleet had uh, 3D printers. Yeah. It, it's not uncommon whatsoever, right? Uh, and that's low volume production. It's like it's tailored for 3D printing. It's just, it needs to be able to print where you need it, right? So like the whole reliability aspect of that is really important. But the software aspect of it actually is really important too, because you're working in these isolated environments. So like security becomes a huge issue for software. And if you're gonna adopt digital inventories and then how do you switch from like an online environment to offline environments, right? To, to help protect that and also give them what they need, like signed files, because your ability to connect to the internet in some of those isolated areas is nothing, right? Yeah. So you have to distribute designs democratized designs so um yeah yeah that's been a lot of fun 
So. Did, did I ever tell you, uh, it, it was just before COVID and um, I had a, a dinner with, with some sort of a general and I told him we can pull up a tank with a 3D printed uh, hook. <laughs> And it never happened because of COVID and that there was no option. And uh, I think I saw about a year ago, I saw a, a video on LinkedIn that they were actually doing that. So, so they were printing this hook and they would literally pull up a tank. And um, it, I guess it, it's this kind of things that, that make people realize, okay, it, it's not just about toys. It's not just about small little things but you can actually solve big problems with uh with 3d printing absolutely yeah we we have a great partner called yeah. titan cnc but they 3d printed a hook and they put a pallet like they hoisted it up put a pallet underneath it and just started loading it with weight there's a, a youtube video on this oh really yeah and you can like they loaded it with so much weight they didn't have any more weight so they started putting people on it and they couldn't break it <laughs> We, we almost sound like excited children, but that that the industry, all the 3D industry, always did that to me. That, that I got excited about uh, what you could do, what you could with, with very relatively extremely simple tools, what, what you could do, and it's, it's typically the stage where I think we're now going out into serious professional 3D printing, where nobody is surprised anymore that you can actually lift a tank or that you can lift 40 people. Uh, that, that's Probably for younger people entering now the market, they will say, "Yeah, of course." What, yeah. Why are you testing this? It's hardly of interest to me. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's like the same thing. Like injection molding. I, I always use injection molding as like a corollary, right? It's like when injection molding came out. Did anyone know how to design with it? Did anyone, like was everyone skeptical of it? It was fast, but I'm sure everyone was like, "I don't know what to do with this tech," until people started adopting it, education got large enough. And it's like, oh yeah, no, this actually solves problems. They're strong, they're functional. And now look at it. It's like, you, we couldn't build things without injection molding, right? So. Um. It's, uh, yeah, this, and, and again there, um, we, we even did that ourselves. Um, there, there's still a lot of waiting with uh, injection molding. Usually it's made in China. It needs to uh, travel by boat. And um, even in our own production of 3D printers, we used 3D printed parts until the injection molded parts were there. Oh, yeah. uh, and, it, and it worked out. It's um, that's it, it's it's the, these it, it's constantly. I think we're we're in this situation where uh, 3D printing will still surprise us of of the, the things that you can actually do with it. Uh, but again, I I, I I said it now too many times. But soon you'll have students who will say, "Why didn't you think of that yourself?" That, that it'll be completely normal for them to uh, to do this, and that that's probably where we get to the next next plateau in uh, in 3D printing. Yeah, I, I actually very much agree with that, that sentiment. Um, we will see a, a very crisp like adoption as new people enter the workforce who have used it in their studies or personally. Um, but it, it is like it is our responsibility, everyone's responsibility to keep educating people on it, right? Um, like what you can do with it, how to do it. Uh, you can put these things in, you know, collegiate courses and like even high school courses. And, and but yeah. it's the OEM's responsibility to help with that, 
right? Like how, how do you bolster that community to say, this is how you use 3D printing and this is how you can be successful. Here's what ROI looks like in that kind of a scenario. This is how you generate ROI with 3D printing, right? Um, we really have to help people understand that, so. I, I had always high hopes, and given your background, perhaps you know a little bit more about that, of, of deeper and deeper integrating into, uh, into design software, 3D design software. Is that happening? So, you know, there's, there's some companies that are doing it. So Autodesk is doing a pretty decent job of uh, doing design for additive in their um, in Fusion, in their Fusion 360 platform. Uh, they have their own slicer and things like that. Uh, I think there's a couple other, I think SolidWorks is doing it. And there's a couple others that have done it. I know uh, Siemens NX had done like a Cura integration at one point. We were talking yeah, yeah, about. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think it is inevitable uh, that the Slicer software and printer management software will be in CAD software, right? Like if you look at yeah. milling, if you look at milling, other types of manufacturing process, a lot of them are gravitating towards CAD software, like Autodesk has a great um, CNC program right in Fusion 360. And a, a lot of other people are, are doing this in the CAD platform as well. And I'm, I'm saying Autodesk a lot because I used to work there. Like, so for like yeah. the audience, if you're looking, like I, I have like an okay understanding of that portfolio. Um, but I, I think it's inevitable. I think like what, what we need to figure out though is like every OEM basically has their own software. And is is there a winner? Because like a CAD platform can't put all those softwares in there, right? It it just doesn't make sense. So is there going to be somebody that you know rises to the top from like a software standpoint? Um, what role does software play? Like I, I'm super interested in this space. Like it's it has to consolidate a little bit um, because I, I think it's. I don't think that we can expect a user to switch softwares for every single printer long term. Right. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> okay. So who will be the winner? That's a good question. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> there is still out, right? Like who can program the best paths for like is is the hardware gonna consolidate? Like that still kind of has to happen, right? Um isn't that happening at the moment? You see it. Professional 3D printing? Yeah, I think I think the, you know, I, I call it like an innovation plateau. I don't think it's like it's going to stagnate. I think there's still more innovation to be had, but there's definitely kind of an innovation plateau on the hardware side, right? Where it's yeah. like, like right now it's more about how fast can you print. Um, but you, in general, the quality is pretty good. Uh, so I think, uh, but a lot of that comes down to software. If If you can... Like the software is the one that is driving the machine. And so, you know, yeah. you really need to make sure your tool paths are correct. And like, is there, a, that, that that's kind of where I'm focused right now is like, like you said, who is going to be that winner? I don't know. I, I honestly cannot tell you. It'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on that though. Well, yeah, it, it is of course critical. I, I so often uh, use that, that software is pushing hardware out, right? Um, if if you were starting with 3D printing a few years ago, you'd sit around the, the 3D printer and, and probably for, for about 100% of your time. And now that, that probably goes back to 4% to of your time and the rest of the time you're working 
in CAD. You're working on in, in, in some sort of design system, slicer, um, better material understanding, the, 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 the things like Teton. Um, that, that's where you spend all your time. So the, the ability from that software platform to, to manage different types of, um, of 3D printers is, is, is probably crucial. It's, Even the different processes, right? Like you can talk about different types, just like if you talk about triple F, but different processes too. Um, yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm meaning. Yeah. yeah. It, the, the deeper it gets integrated into CAD software, the, the more people will expect that that the, the output can go anywhere of their choice, whether it's uh, milling or uh, that doesn't matter or, or a specific uh, 3D printing process. Well, absolutely. And that's why I, I really like the term like, you know, DFM instead of DFAM is like the CAD software should be telling you if you go this direction for a manufacturing, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Rather, if you go that direction, you need to do these other things, right? And you need, it, it shouldn't be constrained to one, it should be open to all. And then you as an engineer or designer or whatever should be choosing the direction that you want to go. And there might be multiple. You might say, well, I'm going to do, I'm going to manufacture it three different ways, depending on what I need, where I need it, and, and when I need it, right? Like this, yeah. this goes back to the whole inventory side of it is it, you should have a history and you should have options that you are able to take in different directions depending on where you need it so yeah yeah and then you do agree that that will almost disappear in into the cat uh, software or, or the cat yeah. form I, I i think so i mean let, let's just look at it the way that it is today like you're designing in cat a lot of people export a cad file or an stl usually it's an stl uh, and now OEMs are starting to catch up and in injecting like CAD files. You export an STL, which is just a piece of dumb geometry. You're sending it to somebody else who's going to import it to an additive manufacturing platform and say, oh, I need to do X, Y, and Z to this part to make it just even ready for additive. Sometimes they have to go back to the CAD person and say, make yeah. changes. Other times they can do it in the software, but like there's this break, there's this disconnect between the two pieces of software. And how do you rectify like the only way is to have it living in a single like source of truth which comes back to this whole data question right on like where do you have traceability <laughs> so <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah so so first of all i i do think that that clumsy workflow between cat and and let's say 3d prep software is 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 essential to to solve that uh, at least if you want to win in that space um yeah and then data um we we always had this dream that um we could retrieve the the, the production data and then um at the time we were already talking about ai uh now i'm spending a lot of time on ai and i actually think that we were absolutely on the right track because this is pattern recognition of uh, understanding which type of print works and which not work. Wasn't Mark Forge the first to say print succeeded? I always thought that was so smart because you would get data with, in addition, at least the result. Yeah. Um, and that AI, you can then select uh, the toolpath that actually works for, uh, for that printer and, and suggest that. Yeah, this is one of the reasons I was so excited to join to join Mark Forge is they had released that product called Blacksmith, which 
basically yeah. like had a laser at on the print head and is measuring the part as you're printing it and it comes back afterwards and it says good or bad but like even more than that is it's a connected fleet like we do have offline customers we support those offline customers because there is yeah. DOD dairy but for, for the most part the fleet is connected which like some people look at that as a bad thing but i look at it as amazing opportunity to help people right like if you have the data and like you said you can train models on it why like we should be able to make every print successful right and no matter is what. there willingness to serve the, the the greater good uh to say i'm willing to share my printing data uh, because it will increase the, the complete level of, of professional 3D printing. Absolutely. Right. There's, there's a large community around that. Um, it, like, it depends on the industry that you're talking to, right? There's, there's a lot of IP out there that you just cannot touch. And uh, you have to have a very strong security stance for that, um, which we do. Yeah. And, you know, we won't train models on data that people don't really, you know, we can't. We, and we actually don't really touch IP that much. It's more of just... Like, is the machine doing what the machine needs to be doing, right? Um, the whole question of IP uh, is is very sticky, and like, you have to take a stance. Like, we've taken a stance, anyways, of we'll protect it at all costs, and we don't use it unless we're helping you as the end customer, right? Um, but yeah. there's so much data streaming off machines now. We're entering this age where there's telemetry data. There's certain companies that have put like like we put a laser on a machine, like what else can you put on a machine, right? And all that data is is accessible. You can scrub it. You can remove, I, I say like removing the fingerprints of it. So it's like <laughs> anonymous kind of data and you can train models on it, right? And, uh, and, and are you already at the point where um, that the training resulted in an ability uh, to, to suggest perhaps on a user level or perhaps even into the software again, suggestions or, or, or improvements in the software that, that you get this closed loop on uh, data collection and, and software improvement. It, it's something with Binder we're, we're looking at all the time, how we can do that. In, the, in this case, it's about images and what works, yeah. what video works, what, what content works, what content doesn't work and, and find lessons that, that you can immediately insert back into your uh, management system and that, that's of course what what's happening here at least the promise is there is are you already doing that i i wouldn't say we're already doing it but the promise is there as well um right and, and like so i always go back to the old like the old saying like google didn't become like a machine learning company just because they wanted to become a machine learning company like, they went and got a whole bunch of data Right. They amassed this huge data and they said, OK, now what can we learn from it? So we have the data and now it's about like, what does what is it telling us? Right. Um, so the promise is there. We're you know, we're, we're looking into it. I, like, these are the kinds of things I can't say like, like definitively. Um, this is what's going to come out. But like I can you know say like we have looked at data. We have trained models before on like reducing certain aspects where like customers were getting like false positives we've at, like 80 percent and we've reduced it to like 30 percent like overnight right oh wow and so like those are the kinds of things that customers really want because that reduces the number of iterations right and then your trust goes up that's 
it, it's as as in the beginning of our call that that's what it's all about that that we well minimize the number of prints that we need to get to to the thing that's fit for purpose 100 percent. and this is how data and software can work together so i think like you're going through this at binder right <laughs> kind of yeah. i'm going through it at, at, in a different area but uh it's, it's actually real. true yeah so people invest in content for marketing purposes and uh they wonder what works what doesn't work and and by following this this complete content operations line and learn what works and not works and, and put that back, it, 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 it creates, well, in the end, of course, it's, it's investment effectiveness that, that you know that 80% uh, of the content that you were building is actually not needed or, or that you can start make it more targeted. And uh, th this is, in the end, in, in management software, it's always the same what you're looking for. Yeah, that's an interesting term, investment effectiveness. I think that applies in a like a whole bunch of different areas in the industry, like various industries, right? So uh, you'll have to yeah. patent that, trademark that one. So yeah, and it's 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 always twofold, right? You you should be able to uh, report on on the efficiency of your process. So so how much iterations do you reduce, and and be able to at least give some analytics on that field. And the other one is, do I invest in the right parts? Are they actually used in? In the rest of the world, do they fly around the world to materialize wherever you want them? Absolutely, it's that's, that's a whole ROI thing, right? Like, you know, we've invested a lot actually in like providing ROI to customers in the software because the software knows, and so like you you need to be able to see and like investigate. I, I made this investment on the printer. Like, we're seeing people pay back printers in you know two months, easy. Um, but they, easy. they don't know that unless they're coming like grabbing the data out of the machine and saying. It, you know, say, okay, yeah, I printed this many parts. They went, they went here, there, like all over, and this is how long it took, and this is how long it would take otherwise. This is how much is on the machine, so you can take the delta, and yeah, two months, easy. Yeah. Do, do you already see signs in the sales model where, um, let's say, the cost will move from machine to to software, or is that still difficult to to achieve? Yeah, um, I think the. I think the entire industry is trying to figure out what to do with software still. Um, and like, if you can yeah, monetize it, uh, yeah. like we've taken an interesting, like we're not really trying to monetize software. For me, it's more like, how do we create an ecosystem where customers are so successful? They just never want to leave. That That's my objective, right? Like I want you to be so successful. And so we, we package up an ecosystem at Mark Forge now where it's, combination of like software and materials and extended warranties and depending on where you're at in your journey we offer you different things um and support so that's that's kind of the, the approach that we're taking right now uh and you know for customers that are really getting into it and you know they have multiple people like you scale 3d printing through like different three different ways right you can add printers you can add people any manufacturing and then you can add parts and so like and in fact you're making a very yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, as you scale in certain directions like you have to grow with them right like you have to be in front of them and that's the whole ecosystem where, like this is the same thing as like google and apple do right like i'm, I'm an android guy i i don't want to leave android yeah. no nor do i completely <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's kind of the objective and it, it, I, I don't want to leave because i like the platform right like i, I i'm invested in it and i we need to create the same thing. Like manufacturing companies need to create the same thing, and it, software is a huge part of that. So, yeah. 
Yeah, one area, and then, then we'll probably need to stop, is um, what I also would like the software to do is uh, give far better insight in utilization. So, um, again, it's like you were saying, in, in every manufacturing, it's, it's either in the machine, the people, or the software. And software is the best way to invest, usually. Yeah. <laughs> won't get old you can update it and particularly if it's SaaS, it's it's a much better option yeah no i, I hear you it's yeah it's the industry it's, it's like maturing right like software in other industries like manufacturing industries it's like no brain yeah and, no brain uh, yeah. you know previously like in in 3d printing software is a necessary evil to to get your printer working <laughs> like you were more concerned about the hardware and now <laughs> and now That's it's like Huge community simply to at least keep going. It, that, that, yeah, also a fantastic thing that so many people helped each other out in, in those early days. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's great. It's been fun to watch. Uh, I mean, you, you were around it in, uh, I'd call it like a golden era. I remember the first time I met you was at AMUG in, in Chicago. And man, I forgot what year that was, but it was probably like six years ago. And you were hosting a discussion around open or closed material platforms at AMUG. And I could not, I didn't, I, I walked in and I was still pretty naive on a lot of this, on a lot of these discussions, but the amount of opinions in that room at the time was just the, you had Stratasys in there. I'm sure you had Mark Forge. I, I was still a Teton. You had Ultimaker in there. You had all the material suppliers. I was I left that room. I was like, "Holy crap!" <laughs> yeah, no, it was packed, and I, I constantly saw the face of the then CEO of Stratasys being seriously worried about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, this this is really great to 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 catch up again. It's yeah, uh, yeah it's a beautiful industry. Yeah. Uh, when are you coming to Boston next? Soon soon uh, just give me let me know uh shoot me a text and we'll go out to dinner um yeah sure nice uh, as well i mean it worked out yeah no uh it's it's been a it's been a crazy ride um this this industry is just non-stop innovation which bodes well yeah. for me it bodes well voted well for you when you were in, when you were in it as well and you're in a new industry is non-stop innovation too like binder is doing crazy stuff right now so. yeah 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 yeah, yeah the, the the growth of that company is is incredible i think we're, we're doing a great job there and, and we're owned in boston now by uh, thl yeah, yeah 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 i was talking with that guy that you're one of your sales reps about that a little bit like, I, I, do you know Paul Hyden? He's like, who's Paul Hyden? I was like, man, you got some, you got to do some homework. He'd only been there for a couple months. <laughs> you got to do some homework. So. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs>